Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your hosts here, Justin Townsend, and today we have uh, a multitude of people on this podcast episode, which is good. Uh, we got in total five individuals on three different microphones, so I'll let you figure out the math uh, on your own. But I will introduce our guest in just a moment, but first I'm going to give a little update for myself and let uh, both of our crew members who are on with us uh, give some updates on what they've been doing. So first off for me, um, looking forward to turkey season coming up in March. So we're going to start doing some preps for that and then waiting for some uh, late, late spring drawing results. <laughs> Fingers crossed on that. Uh, and then tonight, Will and I, are going to go target some tarpon after this podcast episode, so we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, outside of that, I'll let uh, I'll let Will give his reviews here, or his not reviews, his updates <laughs> as to what's been going on in his neck of the woods. Hey everybody, Will here. Uh, not much has been going on. We've been doing a lot of uh, offshore fishing, trying to hit that winter bite for those big bull dorados, uh, pick up some black tuna, and maybe even uh, some wahoo. But as of lately, nothing too crazy down here. Put in tags for some black bear this spring. So hopefully uh, that drawing will come through up in Oregon. And uh, other than that, just kind of enjoying the, the cool weather finally down here in Key West. All right. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We're in the same drawings, doing most of the same fishing. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, see what, uh, Corey, what are you up to 
up there in Pennsylvania. Well, uh, the ice is getting thick enough. I think I'm going to be out on the ice this weekend doing some ice fishing, probably for uh, trout. So we'll, we'll see see if this our spot gets gets some thick enough ice. But other than that, and I can't believe you're talking about turkey season already. I know it's yeah. just around the corner. <laughs> so that's crazy. So it never ends. It's one from nope. one thing to the next. <laughs> yep. And then, uh, I mean, with that late bear too, I think it's going to roll into like definitely a lot of fishing in the summer and then right into the early parts of hunting season. But, uh, it's good though. We do what we love. So that's always a big positive. Let's see. And outside of that, so got a hat to give away. So as you know, we've been doing a hat giveaways for reviews and basically it's a way for us to say thank you for those that uh punch that five star button and leave us a written review uh we do get a little notification and we combine all those and then through each week as we're in the studio doing recording we will go through and pick one of those reviews to read on the air and as you see we're going to give a quick shout out and ask them to send us an email and pick a hat off the store and we'll send them the hat. So this is over on the Apple podcast and it says, listen, exclamation point. This is a great listen, funny and full of good knowledge and tips. If you love to hunt from Clo low. So Clo low, send us an email to what's cooking at harvestingnature.com to uh, claim your hat. Go over and check out our store and our awesome selection of hats there. Let us know which one you like. So now, moving back uh, over to Harvest and Nature World. Corey, uh, any updates from the Adventures for Food podcast going on? Uh, we're still still recording episodes. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, we'll have the first episode for the next season of Adventures for Food. So, some very story- yeah, good stories coming up. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, I will now, since you know who's here partially, I'll let you know the other part of our party this evening, and uh, I'll go ahead and give an introduction. So our guests today have been featured in numerous numerous national publications for their recipes. You can see some of their work on Meat Eater, Gundog Magazine, Peterson's Hunting, and North American Whitetail. They also have a cookbook, Hunting for Food, Guide to Harvesting, Field Dressing, and Cooking Wild Game. It's available for purchase, and they also uh, manage their own blog, Food for Hunters. So introduce you to Jen and Rick Wheatley. Welcome to uh, Harvest and Nature Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you on. Uh, it, it's I see we, we run many of the same circles, and I think we have for – for several years so it's good to finally sit down and, and talk with you both yeah it's definitely a small world <laughs> right um so well first if you could tell us uh, a little bit about yourself uh so we can get to know you a little better where you're from where you spend most of your time and kind of uh your journey into the hunting and fishing world okay uh well we're both from southern california i'm from anaheim and uh, I've been basically hunting, fishing my whole life. My father was from Nebraska, and we'd come back here uh, every couple years. And so 
I got into that lifestyle and uh, with my father, we'd go fishing all the time, uh, mostly hunting. We did just a little bit. Um, and uh, when I got older, though, that picked my interest even more uh, as far as what to do. Uh, favorite types of hunting? Um, gosh, anything. That goes for fishing, too. Uh, anything. I love the challenge of it. But um, if I had to say there was anything in particular I did most is probably deer and really do love uh, upland hunting for birds and, and what have you. It's pretty good. Um, so I'm also from Southern California. Uh, grew up pretty close to where Rick was. Um, we moved out to Nebraska about eight years ago uh, because I accepted a position with Nebraska Land Magazine out here. It's published by our Game and Parks Commission. I didn't grow up in a in an outdoor family, but my parents had me in scouting since, uh, you know, since I could remember. Um, I was part of venturing during high school, and I did a lot of hiking and backpacking uh, up and down California. And then I didn't start hunting until uh, I met Rick. That was about 10 years ago. The types of hunting I do, just I kind of just go with the flow every season. Um, and I try to stay local, you know, deer, pheasant, that type of deal. Rick's more of the big game hunter in the family. I, I've seen uh, I've seen some posts on social media where you both are sort of out on the same day, but doing two different types of hunting. Yes. Um, he was deer hunting that day, and I decided that I didn't want to sit in a deer blind, so I went and I uh, tried to look for squirrels. He was successful. I wasn't, but it was a nice day to be out. Awesome. Those are always good days to, to get out and do stuff, certainly. Um, so sort of what what was the point in in your hunting and, and angling adventure where you decided to venture into the, the wild game cooking realm of it? And, and do you do either one of you have a culinary background? Not really. Um... You know, I, I, my mom, she's Mexican, and when she would make her Mexican dishes, the uh, s stuff like that, that picked my interest. I don't know why, as opposed to the American dishes, the pot roast and fried chicken and stuff like that. And I always wanted to see, it seemed like she was more involved with it, and she did most of it was just like from memory. And that kind of intrigued me. I do like to eat. And uh, so I think it was just kind of a, you know, my curiosity was picked with it. And, uh, and as a child, I used to watch, uh, oh gosh, this old TV show. It was called The Galloping Gourmet with Graham Kerr. I'd get home from school and it would be on TV. So it was perfect timing. And he had quite the personality. And, and it's just something I just always liked. Rick's dating himself. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that. I've never heard of him. <laughs> Yeah. I've never heard of the show, but it sounds yeah. it sounds entertaining. Oh yeah, I'm out. sure there's stuff on YouTube or what have you floating around out there. But the guy was just a character. That's yeah, awesome. and as for me, um, I actually started cooking wild game before I even started hunting it, um, because I met Rick and and I found out that he had a freezer full of wild game, and you know he didn't really do much with it besides you know, a hamburger helper and roast. I mean, he didn't have time. He, he, w he was working all the time and figured as a couple, it would be fun to just kind of take out some meat every Sunday and do a recipe. 
And that's actually how Food for Hunters, our blog, got started. Uh, this was around 2011. Um, and I've kind of, we're still doing it now. It's kind of crazy. I, I think we started, so yeah, I, Harvesting Nature kind of started up at the same time and I, I feel the same exact way that you do. I'm just like, man, this thing just, it just keeps going and it's, uh, it's a wild ride, but it's nonetheless, it's, uh, it's definitely been, uh, a lot of good work and, and a long time put into it. So. Yep. It's amazing how, how big it's gotten, you know, I mean, I don't know, back then Hank Shaw was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really anybody else or nobody, you know, that is as prominent as they are today. That's for yeah. sure. Hank and Scott Laseth, I think those were the two that yep. I remember. Yep. Scott, Scott's awesome. And, uh, I think Steve Vanilla had just came out with his first show, which was yes, on the travel channel. That was right about the same time. Cause I remember being like, man, this is really cool. Like this guy's doing kind of what I'm doing, but he's like much more, uh, involved with it than I am. So right. it's really great. Um, it, uh, for me, it's been like a really positive thing to see, uh, the growth, not just for myself or, you know, for you guys or a lot of the other, but just, just everyone sort of collectively and, and the progression that's, that's came from people really becoming passionate about cooking wild game. Yeah. That's been really good to see because it's something you either had your Midwestern people, eating it and cooking it. But, um, you know, you get into the cities and stuff, you never really saw that. Everything was just supermarket food. And uh, it was good to see now how they're reaching out and looking at what's being done out there with wild game and, and uh, you know, wild foraging and what have you and getting involved with it in a good, positive way. And I, I think people are getting more comfortable just to kind of venture out to outside of their comfort zone of the city or, you know, urban area and, and get out, uh, you know, whether it be like an hour or two out of town or people are traveling across state lines, they're still trying to find some sort of source of wild food. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, that, that was our background. We grew up in, I mean, for a long time, we lived in Southern California and, uh, right, right in Orange County, it's just solid city. Mm-hmm. And so we moved out here and it's, you know, life's a lot different. We, so, live, right, we live right on the edge of town, you know, just, yeah. Yep. So it's been great. That's awesome. I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I actually, uh, probably at the same time, the latter part of you guys being in Southern California, I was living in San Diego at the time. Oh, really? Uh, from like uh, 2010 to 2015. Yeah, I was there. So just neighbors to the north. Wow. Yeah, it's not bad. I used to go down to San Diego fishing out of the landings there for tuna, Dorado, yellowtail, and what have you. So Yeah, yeah. I, I used to go uh, H&M Landing was kind of the one we went with, and they had some good boats that could take us out. Mm-hmm. I used to do charters. I was at all three landings, H&M and uh, Fisherman's and Point Loma. Such a cool it's it, and I like it there because you get out super quick and the water gets super deep really fast. You get a lot of good, you know. I'm over here on the on the east coast now, and you do a lot of different species of fish than sort of on the west coast. And actually, Will Will's in San Diego too, so yeah, he's uh, I, I moved away this summer. I got 
I got to Key West in uh, June, but it's been my last five years. So right when Justin left in 2015, I pretty much got there in 2015 and then left there in 2020. Wow. Okay. Well, they had a pretty epic bluefin bite this year down there. I wish I could have been there. I know. That would have been great. Yeah, I've been seeing the pictures and uh, it hurts me a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I'm comforted, you know, by the tarpon and the mahi dorado fishing out here and the wahoo is awesome as well. So you got to find those niches and kind of enjoy where you're at and what species are provided. Right. I definitely miss eating ocean fish. (laughs) We're completely landlocked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nebraska is not, not too much oceanfront property. Uh, yeah, nope, none of that. <laughs> I think we're like the only state that's triple landlocked. We're the farthest from any ocean of any any other state. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. I uh, I so I'm originally from Oklahoma, and I, I moved away from there when I was like 18 years old. And I told myself I was like, I always, I'm always going to try to be by the ocean. So, um, so far so good. But we'll we'll see what the future brings. You never know. Um, right. To change gears a little bit and uh, talk uh, about some some recipes and favorite recipes and, and sort of developing recipes, but first off to um, get kind of what are your what are your favorites? What are your go tos that you sort of make repetitively? Um, geez, I mean we keep it pretty simple: venison steak, a starch, a vegetable, you know. <laughs> day-to-day meal um we definitely don't get as fancy as you know you might see on our instagram every day you know i get comments all the time it's like how do you how do you cook so much as you do i'm like i really don't (laughs) i mean i i cook often but i don't you know get that complicated every night i I mean we eat like anybody else i i can definitely relate um i joke with with the majority of people that come on, it's like you, you see similar to, to you guys, you see a lot of photos and stuff, but it's like maybe once or twice a week, I'm, I'm cooking a, a very uh, decadent recipe. But a lot of times it's just like, we eat a lot of tacos, fish tacos, yeah. fins and tacos, like just grilled meat, vegetables and a tortilla. And that's, oh that's yeah. That. I mean, both of us work full time. So, you know, definitely can't get fancy every night. Nope. But um, so as far as developing recipes and, you know, I, I've seen a lot of your work all over the place and congratulations to you both on, on that growing uh, visibility because everything you do is really great. So what's sort of the, some of the inspirations that you find behind the dishes? Boy, they just come from so many different directions. Uh, you know, both our ethnic backgrounds uh, help a lot. Uh, doing that, uh, you know, Jen with Asian dishes and stuff like that. I think that's one cuisine, though, that lends itself so wonderfully to wild game uh, with all the different flavors and different animals that you can use. Um, Gosh, sometimes it's as simple as a picture or, you know, some sort of inspiration. Even watching um, some historical type shows, they'll do some old dishes from, say, Victorian times or something like that, and that will be an inspiration to try some sort of a meat pie or, or what have you. And uh, it really just seems to come from me anywhere, just from anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel the same way. I'm really into um, historical aspects of cooking. Not that I can really talk about it, but you know, we, lo- we like watching documentaries and something, sometimes something will, I don't know, spark. Um, 
I mean, there's tons of TV shows on right now about cooking different dishes from all around the world, and that's always a great source of inspiration. Or, or you know, on Instagram, it's we're on Instagram and we follow so many talented people, and you know, they inspire us all the time. And sometimes just as simply as seeing a picture, it could be some other you know, livestock or what have you, but we'll look at it and say, you know what, something like this, tweak it here and there, put, you know, some sort of wild game in its place, you know, and kind of run with it that way. And so there's a lot of different things. I definitely can relate. Um, it, it's crazy sometimes. And then I, I end up going down like a rabbit hole sometimes too, of just like I see something and it sparks my interest. I'm like, I start doing a little research and doing a little research. And then now I'm like miles away from the original dish that, that sort of, I found that inspiration with, but uh, still end up with something great. Just like, man, it, it oh, took yeah, a lot of to get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same for us. And I'm also kind of a proponent of just, you know, it's nice to experiment. It's nice to uh, kind of push the envelope a little bit, but you know, I, I, a lot of times, a lot of my recipes, I like to cook what i I eat, you know, in everyday life, you know, you take a, you take a recipe that's good with beef or chicken and you turn that and tweak it into something that would work with wild game, you know, and I, you know, in the audience that we kind of work with out here in Nebraska, they kind of respond to those recipes better than uh, the kind of high fluting stuff. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that is coming. I came from central South Texas. And so, Growing up, everybody hunted, but nobody made fancy dishes out of wild game. It was all, everybody kind of kept to their own little family. And then all the recipes were shared at deer camp over either an open fire or, but everything was really simplistic and it's been being cooked for, you know, generations. So that's how I grew up. And uh, we loved it. But now that the internet's out, you get to see all these cool new inspirations and Instagram and, you know, companies like y'all's that are putting out great content. And it, it kind of blows my mind sometimes how versatile wild game is and how it can fit into all these things. But, you know, just like what you were saying, I always fall back on the simplistic recipes, though, and just kind of just appreciate the base flavors of the game. Right. And, you know, this is a lifestyle. You know, you want to you want to make dishes that you can replicate, you know, on a weekly basis or whatever, so that other people can do it too. And yeah, that, that's a part of, you know, why we do some of the recipes we do. Yeah. I think if you look through our recipes overall, you go to the website and just kind of look down the line or even the newer ones, a lot of the newer ones are being, you know, going to the magazines and other publications and, and uh, you know, shows and what have you, but everything is, pretty simple we don't want to make it where you know the average person out there look at it's like what are they talking about you know having to get to that it's just something i think most people would be able to understand and and replicate in their own kitchen at least most things not all most (laughs) there's some things that i do for myself that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) like yeah i can get behind that i i made a it's like a cheesy venison almost like hamburger helper the other day and i was just like oh man it, it took me back to being in college and eating hamburger helper three or four times a week and, uh, <laughs> I know what you mean there sometimes yep. you just gotta hit those comfort foods definitely i i definitely 
uh, am excited to see you guys. You mentioned using a lot of Asian cuisine. Uh, it, it works well pairing it with wild game, and, and I definitely appreciate that factor. And I've been talking with a lot of other wild game cooks and, and sort of looking and trying to, I guess not preach, but help a lot of listeners and, and people understand like the, the varied cuisines throughout the world that, that often lend very, very well to like wild game. Like I've been trying to play a lot with Caribbean food. Uh, I've talked with some people about different varieties of African food because, you know, a lot of those they're utilizing local game animals and, and even local livestock that have much different flavors than what we're used to in the U S and just the, the complexity of the spices and the depth and dishes is just, just remarkable. So have you guys sort of played around with, with, uh, a lot of different cuisines from around the world or? Uh, yeah. I mean, we try to pit as many as we can. Um, you know, we want to try to be respectful <laughs> Absolutely. Of, of, of all these uh, uh, different ethnic backgrounds and their cuisines. But, um, you know, for an example, I went to Africa last year, no, two years ago, went go last year because of COVID. But, um, you know, and I got to try a lot of the South African and Botswanian dishes. Um, and I came home and kind of did a venison fat cake recipe for meat eater. And that, that was one example. And it turned out pretty good. It's actually, that uh, was on our list of, of recipes to chat about. So it's a, it's a perfect segue. Yeah, I was, that one was piqued my interest. Yeah, I saw that one. That looked really, really neat. Corey, do you have some questions on that one? Just wanted to know more about the development and the, and the story behind it. How do you, how do you find it and... Um, you know, the inspiration. Um, so I was in Botswana and I was there for a horseback riding safari. A bunch of girlfriends and I went out there to see elephants and lions on horseback. <laughs> um, and during one lunch, they, they serve this, um, it's basically minced venison with a, it's curried base. Um, and it's served inside these fried, f fry bread, basically. Um, and I came home and I made it and the fat cake actually came from Dutch settlers. What was it? 17th century, 17th century, 18th century, uh, settlers there. There's a lot of influence from Europe and also Colonial times, that's where you get a lot of your curry, which is we always think of curry, we think of India. And, uh, you know, being part of the British Empire and stuff, all these different types of spices were moving around the world quite a bit. And uh, so it really, you know, got other countries would normally not have it, you know, becoming national dishes, you know, in themselves. And the fat cake was developed by Dutch settlers who were in the bush. They didn't have a way to bake bread. And so they developed a way to fry bread and that's how fat cakes or it's called vet cock came about um and it's still very popular today it, it looks amazing i'm just looking at the picture now over on media and i i remember i remember seeing it come out the recipe and oh man yeah and and like you were saying uh 
when you look at the recipe list, it's it's nothing crazy. It's it's stuff that I I think most people have in their pantry and Oh yeah. Yeah, mostly that and easy to get too. You know, you can go to an Asian market, get a lot of these, you know, spices and and what have you. And you know, all your big cities pretty much have at least an Asian market in there and also other countries too. I know there's some Indian ones here in Omaha. I mean, we're not a huge city. I mean, it is the biggest city in the state, but compared to the rest of the country, it's really not. And there's Mediterranean, you know, and, and different things there. And then with the internet, I mean, you can get any spices you want nowadays. Yeah, it's so true. But what, what a time we live in. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, uh, so looking at some of your other recipes, um, I see here that, that you guys have a, a rabbit and dumplings recipe. We, too, have one. Oh, yeah. Wow, that looks great. I haven't looked at your recipe yet. I guess I should pull that up. I, I warn you, it's an old picture. <laughs> it's it's uh, okay. It's one of the originals. Um, we have we have those floating around, too. Everybody does. <laughs> it's crazy. I look back on some, and I, when we were talking with Hank Shaw, I was telling him about one rabbit dish that I took pictures of, and uh, it was like rabbit with a prickly pear barbecue sauce or something. I, I don't even think it was rabbit. I think it was jackrabbit that we got out in the desert, and my wife was like, let's do something really fun with it. Let's like put it on a white plate and just kind of like splatter this stuff on there. And like the picture ended up looking as though I had murdered the poor rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) And Hank Hank was like, don't worry about it. You know, said the same thing you guys said. Like, we all have those. But uh, just, like, remake the dish and reshoot the picture. Like, it's no big deal. The recipe is still good. Right, right. And, you know, I was kind of – the whole, you know, my job, this thing that we've kind of built for ourselves, we – we take, we make recipes and we have to take pictures of them to be pub- published in, you know, different places. And, you know, I'm not usually worried about how the dish will turn out because I spend a lot of time thinking about it before I actually make it. But, you know, it's really frustrating. I don't know if you have the same problem, but it's really frustrating when the dish turns out right, but you just can't nail the photo it's just some things that no matter how delicious they are, they just you can't get them to look good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I've definitely ran into that. And I'm also happy to hear that, that you spend a lot of time thinking about food before you make it because that's what I, I was talking to. I think Corey or Will, and it's like I probably spend three or four times as much time thinking about a dish before I actually like pull the trigger and like, all right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to commit and make this. Uh, so, Justin yeah. already has a recipe in mind before we even leave the house. He's like, oh, if we catch this, I'm going to make this. If we catch this, I'm going to make that. And then while we're fishing, he'll just get this far off look in his eye. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, just, <laughs> just thinking about cooking. Like, how are we going to make this good? And it's always fun to see all those recipes that come from that. Yep. Like, you know, ideas kind of like we were saying before, ideas kind of just come out of nowhere sometimes. And if I don't write it down, I forget it. So I have, you know, notes in my phone. If I think of something that I want to do later, I have a list of uh, recipes that I want to hit. I, yeah, I'm the same way. And I was just thinking about it. It's like, you know what? I'm going to put a little like whiteboard because I've got one. I stole Corey's idea of like his organization of his freezer. He puts on a whiteboard and I did the same thing. 
and uh, there's some extra space. And I was like, oh, I'll write my recipes as I have them there. But I'm not always in the space where the freezer is. And I'm sometimes you know, I'm out traveling or doing whatever. So that's right. a hot tip for for those wild game cooks is a list on the phone. I had never even thought about it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's obvious. It's pretty simple. <laughs> as obvious as it sounds. <laughs> Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So looking at the, the rabbit dumplings, it's like ours, ours look pretty similar. I think uh, some slight variations. Ooh, you got some wine in there too. I like that. I think mine leans a little towards the cream side with the heavy cream in there. But I'm I, I'm lactose intolerant, so I kind uh, of I kind of have to go light on the cream, or else I probably would have added more cream. No, that's fair. <laughs> I I think it, it sounds great. Um, Who's gonna so, complain about having wine? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, I think in mine though, uh, I think I ended up using a jackrabbit. If I'm looking at the pictures right, the meat looks a little dark, which is fine. It worked out well. Oh, yep, jackrabbit. I so. think it kind of it kind of works with you know any rabbit really, as long yeah. as you cook it long enough and it's tender. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, gr- growing up as a kid, we, we made a lot of uh, – we'd make rooster and dumplings. So that was because you cooked them so long, that's where the rooster would end up because uh, you could stew it. And everybody swore that the rooster was much more tough and sinewy than the than the, the regular chickens. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a friend that had a rooster right. that was not very nice to all the other chickens. And so we come home from work one day and here's this plastic bag on the porch. <laughs> it, was it's a cold tra- out, it was a trash bag. It was a trash bag, yeah. And uh, we open it up, and here's this rooster inside. And so Jen took it. And, decapitated. <laughs> yes, decapitated. But uh, not many people, you know, I think anyone come home and saw that, they think it was, uh, you know, it had some meaning to it. They better be careful. And yeah. uh, <laughs> Jen went and took and made a really good dish with it. <laughs> and you know what the funny thing was is that, I thought the rooster tasted way gamier than any pheasant I've had. Exactly. It was so dark. It was weird. I, I was just going to ask you guys, because uh, I know you do a lot of upland hunting, and, and I, I've never I've never gone pheasant hunting. Um, kind of where I grew up in, in the part of Oklahoma, it wasn't wasn't real prevalent, and I just kind of never ventured out to do it. But uh, what what's your favorite way to prepare pheasant? I just did one yesterday, actually. Um, it was really good. It's actually a recipe that's going to come out to uh, Filson Food pretty soon. Um, it's just a simple roasted pheasant. That's my favorite way to have pheasant. Um, even though it's simple, it kind of takes a, a while to do because, you know, roasting a whole pheasant, if it's fresh, pheasants tend to be tough. And they don't taste very interesting, like right off the field, at least in my opinion. And so every pheasant we take, we usually age it 
And if it's one that I'm going to pluck, um, a week is good. And so after a week of aging, um, I pluck it, you know, dress it, and then I brine it. Um, that just kind of helps add moisture and flavor. And then you stick it in a hot oven and you roast it like you would a chicken and it comes out just beautiful. You know, it's just something simple like that. Those are the kind of recipes that I like usually. Yeah, the color of the skin was really crunchy, which I like. And uh, meat was tender, uh, more flavorful. I think going with the aging, like Jen says, that just tends to to really build up the flavor in it from a very, yeah, it's an okay type flavor to it to uh, something much better. But it was real good with some roasted carrots and uh, some extra buttery mashed potatoes. I was in heaven. I think brining is a key too because we – we didn't have time one one day to brine the bird, and we we roasted it without brining, and it just it, you know yeah doesn't it, work yeah it doesn't work. I think brining you definitely have to brine of a, a pheasant. Hey, you know pheasant is one of those things where only do on special occasions because you can't rush it. You have to follow all the steps for it to be good at the dinner table, um, for a whole pheasant anyway. But you know it's good as stir fry. You know shot up birds. I just, you know, I still age it, but I only age it for about three days. And then I breast it out, take out the legs. I use the legs for something else, but the breast works as stir fry. I did a recipe for a meat eater. Um, it was pheasant pad thai, and that turned out pretty good. Oh, yeah. That does sound good. Yeah, we, I just, I think we just published it on, on our site, uh, we had a, a local pizza place did this like four cheese pizza and well, feta cheese, um, mozzarella and, you know, and then it had uh, hot pepper jelly on it. That's and, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't sound good. But <laughs> no, not, you're not selling it, Corey. <laughs> when you, we we did it at home. We used uh, garlic naan uh, for the pizza crust. All oh, right, yeah. And we oh, and cream cheese. We put cream cheese and the hot pepper jelly in the food processor and blended that up. Put that, spread that on with mozzarella, parmesan, and feta. And then um, I had braised down some pheasant legs and pick the meat and then we just kind of uh threw them in the skillet to get them crispy and put that on top that that came out really good that sounds good it sounds really good yeah it does I, i'm I bet in my mouth i'm kind of like trying to bring these flavors together i like and, that i yeah, like that for it sounds like a good idea yeah <laughs> actually it kind of reminds me of like one early recipe that we did with pheasant we did a something similar we did uh Barbecue pheasant pizza, you know, instead of barbecue chicken pizza, mm -hmm. kind of a California thing. That sounds good. And too. That, yep. And that turned out really good. Uh, what was I going to ask? Oh, uh, the brine. So what's your, your go-to on the brine? Uh, do you add any other spices and stuff in uh, with the salt? Um, I used to, but I don't anymore because I just think it's too short of a time to really get anything out of the spices. I mean, I've done it. I just don't feel like it comes through after mm -hmm. six or eight hours of brining. And so I just skip it. You know, if I want to add those flavors, I add it in during the cooking. Um, 
but our brine is basically four cups of water to quarter cup of kosher salt and a quarter cup of brown sugar. Um, and that's basically it. Okay. I, I like it. Yeah. I've always been very um, curious as, as to how far some flavors are imparted in the brines. You know, people get very complex with their brines. Uh, you know, I, I've done yeah. it myself. I've, I've, I've brined like whole pigs in, you know, lemongrass and, and garlic and stuff like that. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, wait, you can't really taste these flavors. Well, here. We went through all this effort. Exactly. And so it's better if you want to add those flavors, it, it's better to make a marinade or, you know, add it in some other way later mm-hmm. in the cooking process. Yep. That definitely answered my question on that. So, um, Speaking of California things, the uh, and leaning towards uh, Latin food and Mexican food, the the beer is stew. I see we have the you guys have two recipes, a venison one and a turkey one. Yes, uh, the and turkey one was just me trying to get rid of the turkey in my freezer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the venison is what is the one I actually like a lot better. Um, so what, why do you like it over, over the other? I just feel like venison, if you use the right cut, it just has, you know, you want a cut that has a lot of silver skin in it. So I would use the neck or the shoulder or even shank. But with turkeys, they're kind of stringy, you know. They don't have a lot of silver skin and they're tough. And you cook it and... You know, it'll it'll come up tender, but I just it you know you just don't get that. I don't know that the succulence that you would with like a venison neck or a shank or a shoulder. You know, I find I personally find turkey stringy. <laughs> that's just that's just my uh, you know personal thought on that. I'll I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm not the biggest turkey fan. Like that never yeah. really never really have been, and that's probably. I think probably why I haven't pursued hunting them more um, just because like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's due to the way I've eaten it over time, but it's just, I don't know. I, I just don't I, think it tastes very interesting. <laughs> it's just me. Yeah, and, I, and I think too, like Jen says, the birria, that is um, any of your ungulates, you know, elk, deer, I think, uh, you know, I'm putting in again every year for pronghorn here in Nebraska. Hopefully this year I'll get picked. Uh, to go, but um, any of those, I think even bear would be good in it. It's it's a dish that I think that could Ooh. lend itself to a lot of different things. So yeah, when you guys are talking about bear, and that might be something you might want to give a try. Oh, bear, yeah. Would be fantastic. Yeah, it would I'm, be yeah. Oh man, I'm thinking about all the flavors and stuff, and just the the moisture that you would find in the bear naturally, and how that would come through. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's a it's a recipe that you can basically put any meat in there that you want. And it'll, it'll work out, <laughs> you know. Um, with that said, though, going back to turkey, the only way that I've actually really liked turkey is if it's ground. Ground turkey meat is awesome. Wild ground turkey meat. Have you ever tried that? I I, I have I have not tried ground turkey. Um, it, it, no, actually, no. Yeah, Corey, yeah, have, have, should... I, I, yeah, I'm going to give it a try. Corey, I know you you eat a good amount of turkey as well. Have you tried it? Never, never have ground wild huh. turkey before. Yep. 
I always feel there's not enough to, because I'm my my head always goes to grinding up a deer. So you have like 20, 30 pounds to do. Right. And I never feel like a turkey is enough to to justify pulling out the grinder. It's something maybe if you're going to grind it at the time you're going to make a dish, you're not going to have as much meat or anything like that. Um, we do have a small grinder too that goes onto a KitchenAid. So for small stuff like that, Jen oh, yeah. just pops it into that. We do have a heavy duty commercial grinder too. Yeah, it is a pain in the butt to pull out. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I I have one to say. I got we got one from the the company Meat, and this thing's like massive. I had to just keep it upstairs because I tried to lug it up and down the stairs each time and almost pulled yeah. my back. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But we got a, a Weston. Yeah, they they rip they rip through meat. It's just man, there's I don't think there's a way to make them lighter though. No, no, that's very true. They can really get you know through the meat like you say. I just always wondered, gosh, not like they do a whole buffalo, but obviously all their cuts of meat are big, and and to just to get out and spend like an afternoon just doing a lot of grinding and what have you. I think this. I know the one we had would just eat it all up. It was it's it's really is good. So as far as uh, Corey, I think you had a question about the stew. Yeah, well, I I think they they answered my question about you know using waterfowl or upland. You can use pretty much anything, but sounds like yep. the uh, the venison is is the the better choice for the cuts. You know, I if you're gonna do venison or I mean it'll work out either way, but I like to use either the shank or the shoulder because you got that bone there. Um, if we shoot a small enough deer, I just, I just keep that shoulder intact and just put the whole thing in the pot. You know, see, so you, you got that bone to kind of flavor that broth yeah. a little bit, you know, instead of just putting stew meat in there. I do like that. I'm, I, I found the more I get into it, making soups and stews, the more I prefer using like a larger cut of meat versus like breaking the meat down into, into stew chunks, I guess. Right. I don't even bother with that. <laughs> I think you get so much more, you get so much more of, uh, you know, from the sinew and the silver skin and all the right. other things. Like they impart some great flavors that oh, yeah. are otherwise going to get trimmed away. Yep. We do very little trimming actually on stew meat or or meat that will will braise um we'll probably remove a little bit of the fat you know depending on how it tastes but all of that sinew and silver skin we just keep it all there we don't even bother removing it and you know when you're freezing deer or anything Mm -hmm. you know we don't just keep that silver skin on and then decide what you do later because that silver skin is going to help insulate that meat from freezer burn. Yeah, a little more protective well. layer. Yep. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And so, do you guys, uh, here's a big question vacuum seal, butcher paper, like how do you, how do you prep your meat for the freezer? Vacuum seal, definitely. It's just, we found it's the easiest, fastest yeah. way to do it. And, you know, as long as it's a good seal, we've had we've had meat in the freezer for like three years and it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't want to wait that long, but sometimes it happens. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that piece like sneaks down into the very very bottom, and it's like, yep. uh oh. No, I, I I feel you on that. Yeah, I'm 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 the same. I'm a, a vacuum seal guy. 
Uh, Will, what about you? I'm definitely a vacuum seal guy, but I did the butcher paper for so long. I mean, just there's because nothing wrong with it. There's I, a reason it's called butcher paper. I was just poor in college and couldn't afford a vacuum <laughs> sealer, so that was a thing for the rich. <laughs> Corey, what about you? Uh, vacuum sealer, yeah. I've I've put mine through. It's 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 been a workhorse the past few years. So although I I trim my silver skin off because a lot of times my wife is getting things prepped before I get home. And so I don't, she's not real up on, you know, butchering more than she has to. So I'll, I'll get everything prepped and ready and, and then vacuum it, seal it. And so she can just pull it out, thaw it and do what she needs to do. Now, Corey, were you on, uh, when we were talking with John Wallace, I was not, no. So he, he mentioned he takes some of like his select cuts and he'll write what he's going to make on the top of it on the packaging. I was just wondering if you do the do something similar. but uh, No, I just, you know, what the cut is. A lot of times I do the same things every year with with the certain cuts, like the ball roast out of the, the hindquarters of, of the deer. I know I'm going to make pastrami out of them. So I'll get, you know, once – hunting season's done you know i get a couple deer and i'll make a big big batch of pastrami but uh i don't i don't i don't have the forethought to to do that same same here it's like yeah what what are you gonna make i don't know just get a piece of meat and you know (laughs) or what pops into our head you know it's like oh yeah we could do that with this i think we have that cut and we'll just grab it I think it's it's a really great idea uh, that he has, and I think he just reserves like the special cuts. That way, it's not grabbed mistakenly, you know, just tossed on the grill or whatever. If he wants to have sort of we'll call it like a prime cut, um, and I definitely understand the rationale behind it, but it, I'm I'm definitely like you guys, and I, it tends to just uh, it goes on the list, and then when it comes time for a recipe, I just pull the meat and whatever it goes to, it goes to. <laughs> I mean, what, one thing that I might kind of put a star next to is um, maybe like the center cut of the back strap. You know, if I'm having people over, I want something that's that would make a really good presentation. So I want something more uniform. So I'll put a little star in that one to save, you know, for special occasions. But that's about it. That's fair. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, too. Um, so we've, we've talked a lot about really good recipes. Have you ever had a situation where things have just gone wrong and it just didn't work out? Um, yes. I can't think of anything (laughs) (laughs) of my head. Just dust it under the rug and uh, move on. Yeah, usually those things I like to forget. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I I I think that this topic found its way in. So we recently did a a a kitchen failures episode, which which will be uh, coming out before this episode. And uh, yeah, I had to like scratch my head and think, and I'm like, man, like yes, I've definitely made mistakes. I'm not perfect, but uh. Do a one, do I want to remember them? And two, do I want everybody to know? <laughs> right. But uh, our, our intention was of sort of uh, what changes or what things that kind of that learning teaching moment that we could pass on to people. But um, I don't know. Do you have any any good 
like go to tips that you would you would give the aspiring wild game cook? Um, go to tips. Other than braising, don't cook too long, especially if you're over. You know, I don't know live fire or something like that. We like to give things a really good crust and and uh, you know for not very long because you can overcook wild game so easily. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big things they're always trying to, you know, impress upon people is, you know, because you always get these comments, oh, it's leathery, you know, or it's tough, you know, there's this and that. And most likely because someone overcooked it. And um, so kind of stop that cycle kind of thing and yeah. uh, get people to, to cook it much less time than what they would with uh, domestic meats. Well, it's just, you know, I with Wild Game, I live by two hard and fast rules. That's if you're going to eat it at steak, cook it hot and fast. If you're going to, if you want it tender um, and it's a cut that you can't eat at steak, then you have to braise it and you have to provide plenty of moisture. There's really no middle ground with wild game, at least that I've noticed. You know, you can't eat something uh, even medium or medium well with wild game, or else it just gets too dry. Yeah, I, I agree. Outside, of, I think, have you guys played around much with the sous vide? No, um, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying we, anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I, I, just, I just haven't uh, had a good reason to get one just yet. Um, if we get a bear, then I might get one because of, you know, trichinosis or, or even a wild hog um, because of trichinosis. But other than that, you know, I'm pretty happy with, you know, I can cook a, a steak medium rare without the sous vide. So I'm good with that. I like it. I, I actually, I very much appreciate that answer. Like it's very straightforward. So um, yeah, we, we, we've played around with it. Uh, you know, we, we featured some videos, uh, from some of our, our friends that have done work with them. I, I have one, I've, I've used it. Um, I, I'm still on the fence if it's the be all end all, like it's, it's a cool tool in the repertoire, but I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's completely necessary. I think it's kind of right. What you said there, it is a tool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the CV sits next to the slow cooker, you know, sits next to the. I can't think of anything else. Your the, meat grinder next to your freezer next to yeah, that's, I mean, all that stuff. Literally yeah. where it sits, but you know, <laughs> figuratively, <laughs> all the tools, right? Um, yeah, I mean it's it's another tool, and I think uh, diversity is sometimes the key. If you want to play around, play around. If if you like what you like and you've perfected it, there's no need to change. Right. I don't know. Me, there's something about just knowing how a certain piece of meat is going to react to heat. Mm -hmm. And it takes time to develop that knowledge and that feel. Um, You know, for when a meat's going to come out medium rare, you know, that's not knowledge that you can just get right away. It took years for me to develop that. Um, and I'm kind of proud of it. So yeah. <laughs> why throw in a sous vide machine? And sometimes I screw up. You know, I do. You know, the sous vide kind of takes, kind of takes a 
a margin of error out. Mm -hmm. But the, the challenge for me in cooking and the fun for me in cooking is just seeing if I can, you know, get it perfect every single time, which I can't, but I constantly strive for it. So it's a good thing to work towards for sure. So what's the, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Um, Instagram is probably the best way. It's just handle at food for hunters. Our website is foodforhunters.com. And Facebook, guess what it is? Food for, food hunters. for hunters. Yep. We try to keep it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'm seeing a pattern of consistency here. There you go. <laughs> hey, that's the key in good cooking, consistency. Right? That's key. Um, so we do go around and sort of uh, we ask everybody for their last thought or any misfires or alibis that you may have. So being that you guys are guests on the podcast, uh, please, if you have a, a last comment or last note, please feel free to share. Just get out there and cook. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. That's how you learn. And, uh, you know, if you, you try to open your mind. And, again, like we'll see a picture sometimes. It's like, oh, that would be great with uh, grouse, you know, or, or with venison or something like that. And, and be creative. And, you know, nobody's going to make the perfect dish every time. But, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting out there and just trying it, doing it. You know, I meet a lot of people who are just so terrified of cooking or messing up. You know, I'm like, who cares? If you mess up, go out and get a hamburger. It's, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. Just, you know, just do it. And uh, if it turns out, great, you learn something. And if it didn't, you know, try again. I think that's, yeah. I like it. I like that. If you mess up, go out and get a hamburger. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the 17th century, exactly. You're not going to starve or anything like right. that. But, um, you know, we like to see people get out there. And, and it's good to see they're starting to do this stuff. I mean, this whole movement, you know, with Wild Game and everything is just building up so much steam. And it's good to see people just, you know, out of from right field coming up with, look at this dish that I did kind of thing. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just good to see stuff like that. And, and I think that platforms, you know, like Instagram and, and social media that are very, like, photo-focused, that people are starting to care about presentation, too. Exactly. Yep. And, and that, that's exciting. I'm excited to see, you know, where this is going to evolve, the, the popularity and the growth of it five years from now. I, I hope that it continues to grow in, in a very much positive way. I agree also. All right, Corey, last thought for us. I just want to thank Jen and Rick for coming on. You know, it's always great to talk to wild game cooks and, and learn some stuff. And, you know, I think we all, we each learn from each other and it, it seems like a pretty close knit community. So it's great to, to talk to you. Thank you for having us. Well, Last thought. Just going to kind of echo what Corey said. Thank you all for coming on. It's always good to uh, hear a, a different perspective. And man, when Justin's like, what went wrong? And you're like, oh, we can't remember anything. I'm like, listen, this one, this one, this one, this one. In my head, I once tried to make uh, hamburgers one time out of Vincent, went a little too lean. And then I had ground beef just all over my grill that I had to pick out for like two hours. Ooh. So. Oh, no. <laughs> but you're totally right with just go out and get a hamburger. I mean, you got to try it. You got to kind of push the boundaries. The only thing is don't do that when people are over. Maybe like 
I like what you said earlier, Jen, about you starring that cut of meat, you know, when you have people over because I got a little too adventurous one time when I had guests coming over and uh, we ended up going to get Chinese food. So uh, <laughs> know your limits. So right, I really right. appreciate uh, y'all coming on and hearing your opinions and uh, some really cool recipes. Thanks for yeah. having us on. It was a pleasure speaking with you all. Yeah, 100%. It was a good conversation and um, definitely you got some great recipes. I'm going to – I think that the venison fat cakes definitely moved towards the top of my list. I'm going to have to give that one a go. And the, uh, the Biera stew is hopefully, fingers crossed, first step, drawing bear tags. Second step, hunting bears. Third step, cooking bears. So hopefully it, it falls in line as step number four. Um, you forgot about the shooting a bear part though. Oh yeah, well, right. I guess not, they're step. not missing. Yeah, <laughs> well, given my track record last season, no promises on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, like every Corey and Will said, thanks guys for coming on. It, it was it was very much uh, a great conversation, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to come out. Um, for our listeners out there. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. And all these delicious recipes will be linked in our show notes down below. And you can head over to social media and check out Food for Hunters. And then once you're done checking out Food for Hunters on whatever social media platform you're on, make sure you're following Harvest in Nature, too. Got some good stuff going on. And then uh, after that, you still got some extra time. Go ahead and smash that five-star button on your podcast platform, leave us a review, tell us what we're doing wrong, or tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight, Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.